Hey, everybody. We are back with another episode of Relational Leadership. And this is going to be a fun day for me because (laughs) I get to grill my co-host today. Um, So hopefully you'll get lots of information. But we do try to bring um, informational tidbits of management, leadership, various skills, and hopefully you can use them in your own day-to-day life, whether you Mm -hmm. are a stay-at-home mom or CEO of a large company. uh, We think that you'll have something in there that will apply to your daily life. I am Stephanie Clements. And I am Sean Dolly, and we are eventually going to talk about some top management habits uh, that you can do in the workplace. The last time we were on the podcast, we talked about the things not to do, but I have agreed against my better judgment to sit here in the proverbial hot seat and let Stephanie throw a couple of questions to me. Well, turn uh, about is fair play. On advice of counsel, I've been advised that I can always plead the Fifth Amendment if I feel like I'm going to incriminate myself. So mm, uh, you go uh, ahead and tee it up there, Stephanie. All right. Well, I'll start you off with an easy one. Okay, so what is your favorite food? Favorite food is definitely bacon. (laughs) Okay. I'm a man of pretty simple taste. I think that's probably exhibit A, right? Uh, It doesn't mean that I don't like a good medium rare porterhouse or I couldn't dig into the all-you-can-eat Alaskan king crab legs. But if the asteroid was hurtling towards Earth and I had just enough time to prepare one last meal, it would probably be a pound of bacon. Okay. Crispy. All right. All right. So on that same note, now you've traveled around, been in various areas of the world. What is the worst food you've eaten? Oh, gosh. Um... I never was able to stomach a taste for kimchi. Yeah. It's a, a, a Korean, yeah, very yeah. better, like sauerkraut. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, you would know that. Um, I I tried, and I, it's one of those things that is served at every meal. So every time I was traveling around South Korea, uh, you're not going to have a meal without having that. And I was always the ugly American that was leaving a pile of it on the plate. And right. I was doing, you know, here I was like 20, 30 years old, and I'm like spreading it around my plate, you know, like a five-year-old <laughs> to make it look like I'd eaten some of it, you know. <laughs> I did. I did actually eat that. I would not eat the um, raw fish at the time, which they actually recommended that we didn't because of the amount of mercury oh, in yeah, the fish yeah, there. Yeah. But it wasn't even tempting anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Just, yeah. Now I do eat sushi now, but I I just wasn't gonna. Yeah. Eat. Especially when it was basically staring at you. Well, yeah. So the last time I was in Korea, was, uh, 2019, um, my wife and I were there, and there was a restaurant that actually served live octopus. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they would slice up a tentacle, but, you know, the, the muscle is still oh, twitching. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I did it for the gram. <laughs> All right. What is something that if your family had to describe you, they would just say that, or that you, if you did, they'd go, oh, that is so you. A characteristic or a story? What are you talking about Uh, here? Help me out. An action or a statement or just anything that you do that your family would just be, yep, that would be, if if somebody described something you did, that they'd go, yep, that's him. So I'm very tempted to go on a long (laughs) 
<laughs> diatribe about all these amazing qualities that right, they would, right, they right. would paint me with. Um, ah, goodness gracious, Stephanie. Um, probably, I'm getting better at it, but uh, I have a bit of my, my, my mother's, you know, approach to life in me. I can be a tad controlling. I'm, I'm not nearly as bad as I used to be, uh, but family get-togethers, you know, I was the guy that finally said, okay, no, everybody sit down, we're going to eat. <laughs> right. Everybody go outside, we're going to play a game, you know. So I, I tended to be a bit controlling. Uh, again, I'm a work in progress, not nearly um, who I could be, but I'm not the man I used to be. How about that? Okay, there you go. We're all growing. Um, what about, would you say that you like to um, present the pros and cons and um, and extremely analytical, <laughs> yeah. extremely analytical. Uh, I've heard a I, couple of stories already. Uh, yeah. So if, if from your family, you know, no matter how many variables are involved, and I guess this is a good, like maybe like little leadership monologue, a shonalog, if you will, uh, <laughs> no matter how many variables are involved, typically most choices are binary. It all comes down to do I zig? Do I zag? Go left, go right, black, white, what have you. Right. And uh, I, absolutely, uh, I will try to develop those pros and cons lists, if possible, even a, assign some metrics to them, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, some things are hard to quantify, but I, I, when I, if I have 30 seconds or 30 minutes or 30 days, I'll take all of that time to Continue typically to answer a question. Right. Because I feel like, you know, without succumbing to analysis paralysis, uh, you're typically well served to kind of put everything down on paper, look at it, and see if something doesn't uh, stare back at you. Okay, all right. So um, on another one, if somebody wrote a book about you, what would the title be? <laughs> so again, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's very tempting to say, I don't know, uh, you know, Captain Amazing. Um, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> what would the title be? Um, it would probably be, if I wanted to get profound here, it might be titled Paradox. Because a lot of my outward manifested behavior does not necessarily completely correlate with what's going on on the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, all of us believe that we are highly complex and textured and nuanced, and sometimes that's less of a case, other times more of a case. I do think in my particular circumstances, um, I tend to be uh, a life narrative that's um, of these like diametric, you know, parallel, you know, uh, trains of thought, you know, where, right. where in, in one given day, you know, I'm, I'm pendulum swinging from left to right, left to right. It doesn't mean I'm indecisive, but I tend to have like this life of contradictions maybe mm -hmm. to some extent. Okay. All right. Well, Finish up with maybe another easy one. Um, what is your love language? What are my are options? Are you familiar with I, the five I've heard love of languages? It. Yeah, I've heard of it. What is it? Okay, well, so give, give me the options. I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> so there is physical touch, words of physical affirmation. Physical touch. <laughs> <laughs> that is almost always, it is almost always. No, all right, go ahead. Go physical ahead. touch with, with right. men. Okay. And then you said physical words Physical touch, of, words of affirmation, gifts acts of service, and quality time. Um, are you saying, like, what appeals to me, or uh -huh. how do I express my... How, what appeals to you? Probably words of affirmation. I think on some level uh, that still carries a lot of weight with me. 
me. When somebody uh, genuinely appreciates something sure. that I've done and pays mm-hmm. me a compliment, um, I'll, I'll put that in physical touch at one and one A. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever met a man who hasn't put physical touch right at the top. It's because so. men are awesome. Yeah, that's that's what it is. <laughs> no, uh, and that word I'd, of affirmation I'd, too, right? I'd say word of affirmation. That's, that's yeah. probably it. Okay. Uh, gifts, the other ones, uh, not necessarily, but yeah, that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get started with our topic, and um, want to start discussing the top skills and qualities and things that you can do to be the best effective leader. Okay. And manager. So um, so there are three basic skills that every manager has to have, and those are going to be technical, um, theoretical, and interpersonal. So technical okay. is managing the productivity, and theoretical is understanding the people and the goals, and then interpersonal is how you communicate and collaborate. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. Um, so... Boy, I can't really, um, I couldn't think of a better list. So technical, you know, we think of the scientific aspects of our job. Whether you work in a legitimate laboratory or you work in a factory with a complex logistical process and footprint, um, there are those like almost mathematical equations that we have to solve as workers. Any type of like uh, productivity problem typically has some math you can throw at it right but then the theoretical gets to that artistic you know creative side right. and what i have found in managing groups is that some people really want to lean into the technical aspects of mm-hmm. it some people are much more creative and sometimes talking about love languages they'll talk right past each other because they're they're speaking two different lingos um but uh, boy i couldn't uh put that any more succinctly those technical and theoretical uh, aspects but then, like you said, the interpersonal. At the right. end of the day, that always seems to be that that X factor that makes the big difference. And and to create a really strong team, I mean, the manager needs to be effective at all three. Yeah. And so, um, so those are the skills. Now let's kind of talk about um, how you get those skills and perfecting those skills. I found something called the five C's of management. And I'll go through and tell you the five C's, and then we'll dig into what they are. Sure. So there's create, comprehend, communicate, collaborate, and confront. So, um, and create is, you know, when you, first you have to build your team. And whether it's from scratch or you've got to pull the people together. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so maybe you're a new manager coming in. Um, they're not your team yet. You've, right. you've got to bring them in. And so recruiting, training, setting goals, and then creating that team spirit, you know, because you're going to be much more effective if you've got everybody really wanting the same goal. Yeah. And so, and it's up to the manager to create that, not to have everybody kind of doing their own own thing. Yeah, and I think 
based off what we were just discussing about, for example, technical versus theoretical. And to even frame it like that, like technical versus theoretical, it's almost like you're setting up this adversarial equation. And that's not really the case. It's just taking into account that a team, as cohesive as it may be, is still a collection of individuals. And I know that earlier in my leadership journey, I was naturally inclined more towards people that seemed like just younger versions of myself. Mm -hmm. I was much, uh, I think, quicker to pick up on what they had to contribute. But other people that had different perspectives, different viewpoints, I was probably slower to pick up on it. I I may have even, you know, dismissed, you know, their contribution. But when we're creating those teams, uh, if you are leading a team and you've got five people just like you, well, then four of you are irrelevant. Right, and unnecessary, right? right? So, yeah, I, I think that is a, a great, you know, starting point is when we create our teams, let's go out of our way to have intellectual diversity, intellectual diversity, because we're going to probably get some better, more sustainable solutions when we've got right. different people with different minds. Absolutely. So um, the second one is comprehend, and that is really Getting, under, getting so that you understand the personalities and strengths of your teammates and team members. Um, you know, if I assign somebody who is an artist to work on the computer portion, mm-hmm. you know, of programming what we need to do, I'm setting them up to fail. I need yeah. to understand what they do. So maybe they are designing our presentation while I have somebody else who their strength is, you know, writing a program for it. And somebody else is good, you know, at writing the verbiage for it. And But you have to know and understand what those strengths are so that they all work together and have that common goal. Yeah, and uh, I'll ask you here if you have any examples, uh, like where you've either gotten that right or gotten that wrong. But, uh, you know, one thing that I've figured out, trial and error, like like most things yeah, <laughs> in right. my life, um, was that that first level was comprehending what they could and couldn't do, mm-hmm. then what they did and didn't like, and then finally what did and did not motivate them. Because yeah. again, a mistake that I made, I think it's a mistake that a lot of like first time or maybe even second time leaders make, is they project onto the people that they're leading their own ethos and they think oh well this is what would motivate me this is what i would like to do this is what i would want to steer clear of therefore surely this is going to be the same for them and and i i made that mistake you know more than a few times with teams that i was leading yeah well i definitely um the mistake that i made was really even in creating my team and hiring somebody that i made assumptions that they knew more than they did Oh, yeah. And, you know, when we got into things and realizing they really had no clue about the things that I really needed from them. And so trying to train and trying to get that done, but, you know, after a little while I realized it just really wasn't in their wheelhouse. And so that was, you know, it it was a waste of all of our times, unfortunately. Yeah. And I was fortunate. I spent most of my leadership jobs like on site. Mm-hmm. And even in like, let's say a deployed environment when I was in the air force, if guys were going off station flying missions, I was still getting to like see them be in the same real estate with them. 
But when I, in the corporate world, led some virtual teams, like I'm leading people that I had been their leader for nine months before I even met them for the first time. Right. And of course, we're always able to ask pointed questions, you know, uh, and, and we should do that. But I found that there was a lot of subtlety in getting to know people that simply came through the proverbial like water cooler, you mm-hmm. know, conversations, or maybe you all just happen, you know, grab a bite to eat one day. And, and I think that that is very challenging, you know, now with yeah. so many people that are leading so many virtual or remote teams, I think the comprehension of what makes your people tick is, is not impossible. Just have but to work it, a lot harder at it. Yeah. You gotta be very deliberate about it. Right. It used to kind of just happen. If, right. if you had a genuine interest in people, it would kind of happen. I think now you have to be much more, uh, forceful like with yourself to deliberately engage in that type of activity yeah all right number three was communicate you know we have to for one we need to be able to clearly communicate the goals what our thoughts are about it what our concerns are what our needs are um in in the process and then allowing them to communicate with us to say okay here's my thoughts about it yeah. You know, here's what I think that we can do and, and, and get with that. And so that, and that goes into the next one of collaborate. You know, you're the manager. You do know because, you know, you've probably been handed down the end goal. But the buy-in with your team comes when they feel like they actually have a part in the oh, solution. Oh, boy, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. rather than just being told you're going to do this, 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 and sure, this. Sure, And this is how you're going to do it listening to them and collaborating together on how to all get there. I love that. And there are some people that are reflexively resistant to collaboration and, and they'll, they'll, they'll attempt to justify it. Well, the team members don't know enough to have a real valid input or they've not been here long enough to understand some of the complexity. Okay. All right. Th- those may actually have some merit. What I figured out was that, Planning and execution require typically different types of leadership. Mm-hmm. And we can use, let's say, a, a football analogy. In the four or five days leading up to the game, every head coach who is at the highest level probably brings in his offensive, defensive coordinator, the special teams, some of the position coaches, and they look at the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent they look at their own roster, what they can and can't do, and they probably all put their heads together and come up with a plan that ultimately the head coach is going to slap the right, table and say, right. I got it. But, but he would be a fool if he's not taking all of that input, right? Now, fast forward, it's middle of the third quarter. The, you know, the, the possession clock you know, is running down. You've got nine seconds to run a play in. Well, at that point, you might not have time to assemble the, the whole team and get everybody's input, right. right? So in the execution phase, it can become a lot more one-directional, sure. I dare say dictatorial, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but when you are in the planning stages especially, I've, I've yet to have somebody convince me that a collaborative approach, approach was not you know, the optimal approach. Right. Oh, Absolutely. All right, and the fifth one was confront. That's where, you know, when you have a team, not everybody's personality is going to click just right, um, or there are issues coming up that, you know, there's there's a slowdown because somebody maybe isn't as bought in and it isn't contributing enough. 
as a manager, you have to be ready to jump on those things quickly, get them solved, get them, and, and keep things moving. You can't bury your head in the sand and be like, oh, it'll, I'm sure it'll work out. It'll, you know, <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So it's on you then to, to notice those things. And if there's conflict, you really have to get it and, and tackle it right then, confront it. Yeah. And then again, if there's just problems, don't let your team get so bogged down with the problem that it's not going anywhere. Bring them back. Let's collaborate again. Figure it out. But we can't. You you have to jump in. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you here in a moment if you have any similar experience. But I, once upon a time, was working in an environment where we had a very weak leader. Mm-hmm. Um, he tended to disappear uh, when things were tough. Yep. Would strategically be absent when hard decisions needed to be made. And so what ended up happening was that uh, problems would get resolved. You know, things would get worked out. But it was because there was another person that would constantly step into the void. So if you were outside the organization, you may assume that it was being run from the top. But what you didn't really you know, appreciate, unless you're on the inside, is that, oh, yeah, we had a leader. It just wasn't the person who was vested with formal authority. Oh, but we did have a leader. Right. And it was somebody who led informally. And then... You know, that may or may not go the direction that the original leader wanted it to go, though. Um, You may or may not, you know, the goal could be slightly off and different because you weren't there to lead the ship in the direction that you you saw. So now it's being led if that person hasn't bought into your vision. Right um, now, it's being led <laughs> by somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so. But you know what? Uh, I think you would probably agree. If you have abdicated your responsibility as a leader, and then somebody else, some yeah. man or woman, stepped in to fill your shoes, I have a hard time generating a ton of sympathy for you nope, if you don't like the way that they did it or how it turned out. Like, right. well, you know what? You could have been here when we were all digging ditches with yeah. our sleeves rolled up, uh, yeah. but you decided to be somewhere else. So. <laughs> Well, that goes into, you know, some of the um, characteristics and skills that uh, managers, that effective managers have. And one of those is be part of the team. You know, you don't, yeah. your, your job isn't just to tell everybody to go and do things. You know, get in and in that collaborative state. You know, I mean, you're, you're in there, you're checking on things, you're... Um, not micromanaging, but just keeping status reports, getting in there. And, again, you're confronting issues as they come up. You're right there. You become that trusted person when somebody gets stuck that they can come to and say, yeah. hey, I'm going to need a little help on this because you are there. They know that you're in the thick of it with them. Yeah, and, you know, something that uh, as people – take on those first or second leadership jobs that they sometimes struggle with is, well, I was doing, I was doing fine. I was leading this way and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden things weren't fine. And oftentimes uh, one of the things that we're slow to do as leaders is expand our toolkit of situational leadership Mm -hmm. skills. Uh, I saw this graphic once that I, I really, I fundamentally disagreed with. I saw the point they were trying to make. It was two side-by-sides with uh, stick figures. 
And in one uh, on the left, there was a stick figure sitting in what looked like a chariot mm-hmm. being pulled by stick figures in front. And it said, boss. And then on the other one, that stick figure was not up in the throne or chariot. He was, or she, whatever it was, stick figure, was at the front pulling. Right. And they said, leader. I get the point they were trying to make, but I fundamentally disagreed with it because there was a subtle thing that I picked up on in the one where the leader was at the front pulling on the rope. Uh, his or her head was down, like the way it would be if you were pulling. And I thought, you know, sometimes the leader can't afford to be pulling right. with their head down. They need to actually be up on that throne with the, the distance and the strategic vision looking up. So my a thought on that little cartoon that I saw is that tell me the situation and I can probably tell right, you whether that's actually which good... one of these two is probably the correct you know right. approach and and I know I say that as one who struggled with that like I probably had maybe three leadership approaches when I first started the problem was there were four five and six different scenarios and sure. those three just didn't always fit yeah <laughs> and absolutely. I was like a round peg into a square hole like I'm gonna make this fit somehow um, but as I grew and I, I picked up a couple different tools, I found that typically a given situation just might require a different mm-hmm. or even subtle you know, shift in how you approach it. Well, um, I liked a term um, for collaboration that um, I heard somebody uses with their team. And, you know, weekly they have out-of-the-box thinking sessions. And so they get together and it's like, okay, we all know how how this has been done this is the typical way but as everybody's doing it and thinking what have you thought about that could be different yeah. that could make us more yeah. effective yeah. you know there's you know the old proverbial saying that there's more than one way to skin a cat mm-hmm. just because you go into a business and some people are very big into this is how it's always been done you yeah. know we do it like this because that's how it's always been done this yeah, is, you know, yeah, yeah. but empowering your team to be able to bring those out of the box ideas. Now, if you have a group that you're collaborating with, somebody else may go, well, that may sound good, but if you do that, then this over here and this over here happen. And they, they go, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. We can't, yeah. we can't yeah, do it yeah, like that. Yeah. But maybe when you're doing some you start going to go, well, that would help this and that could yeah. help this this makes total sense that's right yeah. You know? yeah, yeah 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 and so if if there are no bad ideas and you just come in and you can start thinking even if that particular idea doesn't work it may s- start sparking other sure things oh, yeah. that do work and so you know have that i just i love that collaborative type of thing because i've always been an out of the box because I want to, um, I want to do things different than my competitors. Yeah, and so I can't just do the typical things. Yeah, and you know, I certainly did not invent this, but I think it has so much merit. Um, there's some easy things that you can do as a leader when you're looking to put fresh perspective on how you have been doing something. Because even if it's working, the question then is, can it be done better, cheaper, or faster? Yeah. Or maybe even two or three of those, right? So it's really hard to have a fresh perspective on a process that you have overseen for a long time. 
So one of the easiest things to do is ask somebody, like ask somebody, maybe even as a competitor, you know, that has a yeah. you know, lane of trust with you and you with them. You know, how do you all do this, right? Uh, but if you have to truly create something from scratch, uh, I don't pretend to understand with great specificity the neuroscientific mechanics at work here. But if you keep going to the same uh, boardroom, lunchroom, break room, uh, workroom, at the same dry erase board trying to come up with a new solution, you know, a, a new schematic. Uh, there is a lot of empirical evidence that suggests, you know what, take those same people and on a relatively sunny, warm day, have that meeting like walking around yeah. the parking lot. Or maybe you do the offsite. You take the seven people that were going to be in that room over the yep. same dry erase board and you go to the nearest park during the workday on a work week. And it's, it is something magical that can happen sometimes yeah. when you get pulled out of a static environment it has this dynamic effect right on your thinking and i was you know i'm not a real kind of chicken bones voodoo kind of thinker but i saw it in action more than a few times like hey man let's let's push away from the desk let's just go for a walk and then <laughs> voila <laughs> like sure like magic you know you stumble across something right so yeah empowering your team um again as we've said you know set clear expectations and then um, I liked these two things. And uh, one is monthly goal and then review. So, you know, you're going to get together and go over what do we want to accomplish this month? What are you going to work on? Where are you going to get us to this month? What are you, and, and on through the list until you know what we're all trying. Okay, now let's see what happened last month. What were your goals Mm-hmm. And what were you supposed to do? Where are we on those things? That offers accountability. And when they know they're going to get asked, they're going to want to be, they don't want to admit in front of the team that they didn't, yeah, yeah. didn't finish, you know, yeah, or yeah. haven't made progress. Yeah. Um, we, we habituate early in life to deadlines. Yes. Your homework is due Tuesday. <laughs> And well, it carries forward because you're right. There, you, I mean, sometimes you just have to have a deadline. I yeah. mean, some people will they'll go home that night and get it all done. And there's people like me that if you say, just get it whenever, well, whenever it might be 14 months from now, you know. Right. So I'm a procrastinator. Well, I remember um, one of my English classes in college, and I did not, I mean, I hated English, writing all the papers and whatever, but I had this professor, and we almost always, if it was a nice day, had a class out on the green. It took blankets, and we would sit out there, and we would have had, you know, and this was more, I think, literature or whatever, you know, but we'd have had a story that we were supposed to have read. Mm-hmm. And because of the way he called on you and you, the discussion, if you hadn't read it, you felt so out of the loop <laughs> that it yeah. made you want to go ahead and read because he was going to ask your opinion. Yeah. And he was going to, you know, I mean. Sure. Um, you know, how do you feel the you know, the hero in the story, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. Did, uh-huh. and you're like, uh, you know, so you were go- everybody was going to know you didn't do it. And yeah. as you saw everybody communicate, you wanted to, ta- you actually wanted to take part. Yeah. And yeah. so a little, a little um, accountability goes a long way. It does, <laughs> especially when it's public. Right. Um, another one is that you can give each person their own self-assessment. What were three things that I did really well this month? Mm-hmm. And what were three things that I really could have done better? 
And You're then, saying you ask them that? Yes. To grade themselves, yes. basically. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And, you know, when they do that, and after, if they have to start really thinking, what, what could I have done better? And, yeah. and then talk about, you know, so, all right, let's just try to um, do that better now this month. So, um, if you pursue perfection as your barometer, I don't think you get complacent. That's a um, from Jeff Davis. So, agreed. I mean, you're you're never going to reach perfection, so you yep. have to. Yeah, it's a journey. Uh, it is not a destination, right? <laughs> it <Yeah. is. laughs> so, um, but it helps having a team that holds you to that. If it if the team all wants perfection. You know, and you understand that, yeah. you know, what do they say? Shoot for the stars and, mm-hmm. you know, at least you'll be up there around the moon at least, <laughs> right. you know. So, um, but, yeah, so I just think that that accountability and sharing where you know you fell down, but also where you did well. Um, yeah, and, you know, I think it goes without saying, but your your first series of three um approaches to you know good leadership right the technical the theoretical and then the interpersonal yeah um, if you have done your part as a leader to foster an environment of trust and support where the people that follow you truly believe that you value them as members of that team they're much more likely to be objectively critical of themselves mm-hmm. if they know that you at the end of the day care about them Right. If they feel like you're out to get them, I mean, I know what I would do. I'd lawyer up. Like, yeah. I, I didn't do anything wrong, boss. <laughs> right. But, but well, in, in a constructive criticism, you know, there's, there's criticism that beats you down. Yes. And then there's a constructive criticism that is from somebody who does care about you and wants the best. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, and, and people ultimately, you know, look, the people that work for you, report to you, they come with a lifetime of experience. And regardless of what your intent is, and regardless of how noble your intentions are, the first week, month, year, three years that you're their leader, every time you offer objective, constructive criticism, what they might be hearing is their mother saying, you will never be as good as your big sister. Because right. they may have come out of an environment where they were constantly, constantly, constantly bombarded with criticism. So, you know, the other half of the equation is the person receiving it. And so sometimes, you know, yeah. if you're out there managing people and you're thinking, goodness, why they all, they're so defensive. This person's so defensive. I would just have, have some grace and patience because you don't know what sure. that criticism Absolutely. looked like to them in the past. But if you're doing the right thing for the right reason, eventually they will figure that out, and the trust they place in you will allow you to be the leader for them that they want you to be. Well, and a lot of times, um, to follow that up, they may not seem like they receive it right away, but when they have time to go back and reflect, because all of a sudden they're emotional a little bit because Mm -hmm. you're not thrilled with everything, you know? Sure. Um, but when they are given some time to reflect and realize that it wasn't an attack and what did I do? You know, a lot of times people will come back and be like, okay. You know, they may not want to t- talk about it or tell you you were right. But, right. you know, it may, <laughs> it may be yes. something where they'll at least, you know, take it into account, take it I to heart. I think there's a lot of know? truth in that stuff. So, I really do. 
Well, we are at the end of our session. So, um, like I therapy. do have, yeah. <laughs> Time is up. Time is up. Yeah, otherwise, I got to charge you enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, we appreciate all of you joining us again. Um, even if you miss the live, it stays on the sites for Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, it, we're on YouTube, Spotify, and Amazon, on Audible, and yes. Apple. There you go. So yeah. there you go. I, I feel like I've got a test at the end of each week. when. I, <laughs> but if you feel like there were things on here that um, were helpful to you, we would appreciate you following and subscribing to us. We did also just... Um, start a Facebook page. So feel free to follow that. Also, we'll be adding to that as we go. It's brand new. So um, we'll be adding some other tips and things along the way. But thank you all. And we look forward to seeing you next week. See you next Tuesday. Thank you.